The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupport.com community.org. Well, uh, a friend of mine emailed me and told me that I must, must, must read Alice and Oliver by Charles Bach. She said it was like no other cancer book she had ever read, and I agree. Alice and Oliver is uh, it's raw, it's jarring, intense, it's emotional, it's exhausting, um, but it is really everything that people experience when they receive a cancer diagnosis. And although this is a work of fiction, it is based on the author's real-life experience. His uh, late wife, uh, Diana Colbert, battled leukemia for two and a half years and passed away in 2011. I'm honored to have Charles Bach join us on the show uh, to talk about this extraordinary book. But before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Charles. His first novel, Beautiful Children, was a New York Times bestseller and notable book of the year and won the Sue Kaufman Prize for Best First Novel from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. His fiction and nonfiction uh, have appeared in Harper's, Esquire, the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Slate, the Iowa Review, as well as in uh, numerous anthologies. Uh, he's received fellowships from the Civitella Ranieri Foundation in Umbria, Italy, Yado, Ucross, and the Vermont Studio Center. Welcome to the show, Charles. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Um, well, we've, we've, we've got a lot to cover. This is a deep book and, and, and goes yeah. across a lot of different, uh, a lot of different planes. So, so, you know, let's just jump right in. Can you tell sure. our listeners, Charles, Charles, what the story is about, but no, no spoilers, please. Obviously we want folks to get this amazing piece of work and read it, but uh, give us some framework. Oh, absolutely. Um, the novel takes place in 1993. Uh, Alice Colvert is a young mother of a uh, six-month-old infant. And uh, she and her husband and the baby are about to take a uh, Thanksgiving trip back to mom for, you know, big Thanksgiving weekend, free yeah. child care. And uh, she feels ill. She becomes ill. She's been ill for, for a little less than a week. But this is worse. And um, she ends up... Uh, being diagnosed with uh, a complex form of leukemia, 
and needs to uh, have a, a bone marrow trans. They need a, a bone marrow transplant if she's going to live. And this is as a starting point for this novel. It uh, moves through um, her their search, her through numerous chemo, through a bone marrow transplant. Each, both she and her husband um, Oliver. Uh, deal with the whole thing, health insurance, uh, hospital bureaucracies, different doctors, friend, the network of friends and family, the financial aspect. Mm. They have a six-month-old baby that needs to be taken care of, and um, Alice has to kind of face a lot of questions about not just her own mortality, but then... Well, the option, the possibility, or even the prospect of of uh, letting go, or what? What? How does a mother face something like this? And um, I tried very hard to make this be a, a book that it is about the cancer. It's unavoidable, but it's also about how do we live? It's very much about life. Uh, how do we? What do we owe ourselves? What do we owe the people around us? And um, how do we treat one another when, you know, the, the big ticket questions about life really stare you in the face? I think that's a, a good starting point. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. Um, you know, Charles, the, the, the first chapter is, is, is pretty abrupt. I mean, within a few yeah. paragraphs, having literally just met Alice and Oliver, were launched into their sort of escalating Right. medical crisis. I mean, was it your intention to recreate for the reader sort of the shock and the disorientation that people say they experience when they receive a cancer diagnosis? Was that your intention? Absolutely. You know what? It is a shock, and it is so dramatic. And what I tried to do with the novel was to recreate that and to use it almost in, a, in the way of a thriller, where yeah. you're, a reader is swept up in this, and the truth is, it's unimaginable, and um, all of a sudden life changes, and you're you're in something that you just can't believe. And um, I, that was the experience with myself and my late wife Diana. And when I was trying to figure out how to do this, that I was if I was going to write about this and how to then how to do this, I did feel that that was that to try and recreate that to try and pull a reader in in such a way where it's like a almost like an action movie and you have no choice but to go along and 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 ride the roller coaster that that felt right to me because even though even though you sit there for hours and you're waiting on results and you're trying to calm each other and figure out what's happening and and treatments are going on you all of a sudden, the world has changed, and it and it's so fast that um, that was my intent, and um, that a reader, my hope was that they will be sucked in, and then as the book go, goes on a little bit, the these seeds have been planted for Alice and for Oliver that grow into these complex people, and we're going to learn about them and love them and be frustrated by them and follow them through all this but my experience really is or was 
that yeah. it's, it's so immersive, and uh, I wanted to reflect that. So just strap in. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so, so as, as things progress, Charles, you continue to bring us sort of deeper and deeper into really what becomes a life, life and death crisis. I mean, right alongside Alice and Oliver and bombarding the reader with medical terms, neutropenic fever, yeah. the demand for medical decisions, um, necessity, personal preference, insurance companies. Um, oh, yeah. The whole did you ever worry that it might be too much, too fast, too intense oh my you know, God. for the reader? <laughs> Con- you know what? It was a, it's a constant – it is a worry. And yeah. um, I do think that I, what I tried to do was, int- was go along one step at a time and introduce something in such a way where we could understand what was going on and uh, try not to introduce the medical term first but maybe what's happening – and so we understand what's happening, and then we can give it a name. Um, but yeah, be, when when this all started, I I knew nothing. You know, I, I I was so innocent about most health insurance stuff. I mean, I knew I had kind of bad health insurance, and I had a copay, and sometimes I had to do this, and sometimes I had to do that. Um, let alone the medical terms of that come with serious illness and you know and cancer there is there's no light cancer you know <laughs> there's no one yeah. who gets a, a diagnosis and is like oh well it's it's a lymphoma you know that's but that gets a lot of times that can be treated so I'm not too worried about it it's you know it's really heavy and um it does it does ask a lot but the, the hope also is that if a reader is invested and cares, people are smart. People are capable of understanding. And, that, and um, if you explain it right, they're, they're ready to go along. I mean, that's usually my experience when I read. Yeah, and I mean, uh, unfortunately, frankly, nowadays, most folks have had some experience with cancer and, you know, either yes. firsthand, secondhand, third, you know, thirdhand. Well, that's um, true. Uh, you know, I, and, and so, you know, yeah, yeah, and some connection there. Um, uh, Charles, in fictionalizing your life story, and if that's the right way to put it, because I know we're, we want to get into your, your, sure. your own experience and story a little bit in the conversation, but you, you place Alice and Oliver in 1993. What made you pick that time period? Was there something about that that really was relevant to the narrative? Yeah, I think there's a few things. That's a, um, one is that 1993, late 93 through 94, that's when the first uh, commercial web browser is kind of introduced, uh, Netscape. So the internet, the idea of what the internet is changes. It goes from where we go online and pay to be part of AOL and pay for each minute mm. to where we can be online and surf and, and go to web pages. Um, it's a time where... The book takes place uh, in New York City, Manhattan, and that's a time where Disney moves into Times Square and kind of the gentrification, I guess, or the the uh, the city changes in a certain way where it starts to really be cleaned up and become a much more uh, kind of corporate place. Um, and I felt, you know, Pulp Fiction actually comes out that year. I felt that there were these milestones where – it seems like it's so long ago, or it seems like it's so close, but really now it's 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 twenty twenty year plus twenty plus years, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that would 
there's a point where that pays off at the end of the book. But I, one of the things that I really wanted to do was to make a point that this is a moment in time for these people. And it, everything is on the line for them. And it is hugely dramatic. But that time is going to pass. The book, everything is going to move forward. That six-month-old infant is going to grow up to be a young woman. And I felt that by dating the book, by making a time when there were still subway tokens, when New York City was still grimy, when um, people in waiting rooms were reading John Grisham novels, or you know, a husband and wife each reading a different one, and because that was the book of the, those, that was the author of the moment, that I could date it, and I could say this is something that happens, and then also later we can. It's something where people's lives or lot or people time moves forward. It does move forward. That it can that and and because the book is so dramatic when it starts, because the experience is so immersive, um, it seemed like that was the, a good counter for it. Was a way of saying that there there is a, a there's a tunnel and then there's an other side of the tunnel. Yeah. Mm, interest real really really interesting. Boy, we could have a whole conversation just about oh, that. <laughs> oh, it's so, so much. Because and about it, the context, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even what was happening in the, you know, in the medical world at, uh, at oh, that, yeah. that time, That's the beginning true. of some, some important uh, you know, advances for sure. Um, uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, we are talking today with uh, author Charles Bach about his, his new book, Alice and Oliver. We um, have a lot... Uh, a lot that we want to cover about this really fascinating and, and, and in-depth and, and intense uh, intense book. We have a lot to cover uh, with Charles. We're going to take a quick break here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIA B. 
or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca and Lilly Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and with us today is Charles Bach, author of the recently released novel Alice and Oliver. Charles' previous novel, Beautiful Children, was a New York Times bestseller. In this new novel, we meet Alice and Oliver, a young, successful couple with a newborn baby. Everything seems to be going their way when Alice's cancer diagnosis throws their lives into chaos. Um, Charles, your, your wife, Diana... Yes. Kept uh, kept a journal during her illness, and and uh, uh, I know you used that journal to help you create and give voice to um, Alice. What was? Why don't you take a minute to tell us about Diana and her story? And 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 was she a writer? Uh, you know, did you know? Uh, do you know what motivated her to keep a journal? Absolutely. Um, she was someone who wanted to be a writer, and mm-hmm. uh, in fact, the first night we met, that was one of the things she talked about because she. Um, she worked in massage therapy. She wrote grants at a, a, a university. And, and then in the course of our marriage, our relationship in marriage, she actually went back to school to, to work on a graduate degree in, uh, in a comparative literature and was going to be a teacher. But um, she had wanted to write. Mm-hmm. And when, during the course of her illness, she kept a journal and we had conversations because she wanted to write a uh, book to help other women get through what she was going through. And um, her journal also was a very much about her fears, her hopes, some of her frustrations about me and, uh, uh, and how I was handling things. Um, but So it was very personal. You know, it had a, 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 a part of it was... Um, uh, Things where lists of things she needed to accept, lists of things she needed to let go, and um, but then a part of it also were thoughts about maybe if she could turn this into a book. Now it, it never reached that point, uh, and um, a lot of it was very much for her. Most it was you know, but I would say eighteen months or so after she passed, um, at some point I was clean. I was. My computer broken down, and I was going and I was using her computer while mine was getting fixed. And um, I finally had the courage because I I knew all the stuff that she had had on her hard drive, but I finally had the courage to uh, open it and read it. And I would say I was probably 50, 100 pages into the book and I'm into the novel, and I'm mapping things out and trying to figure out how it's going to go. And uh, when I start reading those, um, you know, those journal entries, well, there she is. And her voice is so strong and it's so clear. 
and it did knock me for a loop. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's it's so powerful, and especially when you, for example, read your wife some uh, sentence that says, while she's in a hospital and going through very serious treatment of um, Charles is often miserable. I am not. You know, in talking about how she keeps her mindset and her attitude. And, um, you know, and, and it's the kind of thing that just makes you want to go in bed and curl up for hours. Uh, the truth is, is that that also made me aware or that something in me, it hit a switch. And I knew that there would be a point that there could be a point in this book where it came from Alice's directly her voice. Mm-hmm. The third part of the book would be her going through being hospitalized, going through this bone marrow transplant, being at a certain point in her marriage with Oliver, feeling a certain way about her being forcibly separated from her daughter and not knowing if she would see her again or how things would go. And that this would be you know, the gamble of the book would be not telling the whole thing in her voice, but mm-hmm. making a reader wait to get to this. Mm-hmm. But that if at the point, at the most dramatic, as it enters the most dramatic third of the novel, if then we go right to her and get to hear this woman and get to really go through the experience with her, with no separation, that it could really be beautiful. And um, I didn't, it's not word for word, the journals, you know, I had to change a lot. I, there's a lot I couldn't use. Um, there's a lot I had to change into Alice's voice, but there's things that are like, it's the foundation, you know, and it's, and it, and it gave me a, a direction and it gave me an understanding of what much more of an understanding of, of how she was feeling while while I was, let's say, sitting by the side of her bed and she was quiet or thinking or crying, you know, those journals gave me more insight than our conversations or my experience could have. And so I thought it was a beautiful way to to help keep her spirit in the world and also to share that experience and... um, and also to uh, to be with her, you know, and 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 then also from the Department of Self Interest, you know, that that it could maybe make a, a beautiful book that could mean something to people. Do you think you could have written the book without that without her journal, or do you, do you think it would have been a different book? It would have been a different book. It, yeah. I, I mean, I if I didn't have that journal, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. I, I, it would have had to be something else that would have triggered that idea of, oh, I could do, I yeah. could move this into that section. And the truth is, that section is the other parts of the book work very well. They do everything they have to do. The beginning is a landslide of of, of emotion and of momentum, and and then it complicates and the drama gets deep and interesting. But it's to all get to that that you know those that those 150 pages of the last third. And if I didn't have those, I would have had to organize things differently and think about them differently. Let a, you know, and it would have been a different book. It would have been a, a, a very different book. Yes. 
Do you think she would have had any objection to you using her journal in that way or for that, for the inspiration? You know what? Um, it's a very interesting question. Yeah. I, I think that one, she wanted to help other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two, and, and that's really important. That's a big thing. Two, my, my Diana was a lovely and kind person. She was also my first reader about everything. She's someone who we talked about, about my artistic life, about her artistic and professional life all the time. And I, I think she would have been up for it and thought, right, this is something you'd have to do. I think she would have seen how good it was. And three, I think that just as a person, I think that, that she would have been like, you, you should use my, my, my journals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you darn well should. I, my voice should be out in the world. You should do it well. Do it right. If you're going to do it, do a good job at this. I deserve this. You know? So, what, so was, it, was part of it sort of honoring that desire of hers to be, uh, to be a writer? I, I think it helps. I think yeah. it absolutely plays in. I think there's a part of me that it certainly allows me to to feel good about what I'm what I about the book and what I'm doing. I there I could understand if you know if if like we were divorced and I stole a stole the book from her you know, from her papers and it wasn't my property and wasn't my right. And someone's saying, how could you do that? But we were, you know, we were a team. We were a team. We were a great, great team and we really were intertwined. And, and, um, and and that doesn't mean that every day and on everything we saw eye to eye, but you know, I, I, through those, through those, uh, through her inductions, through her both bone marrow transplants that she went through, you know, I, I slept every night with her in in the hospital in the cot next to her. I was there for everything, you know. I, um, I, I, I think that we were we, you know, I. So it's not something that I have any any second thoughts of because I I just know what how close we were. Yeah. Yeah. Charles, we only have a couple minutes until our yeah. next break here, but, but um, were there any surprises in, in, in what she wrote? Anything that, that maybe you know, took your breath away a little bit or caught you by surprise? You know, the thing that is, like I said, the one line I mentioned that Charles is often miserable, I am not. When I read that, mm-hmm. the recognition of how smart she was and of what was happening, it... it and and how miserable I was and how scared and that that was I I don't know if it was a surprise, but it, it was so powerful. Um I think it's a surprise just to, to read to miss someone and then to see them to see all their nuances and their humor and their light and their kindness and generosity in page after page. And that's something that I I did really enjoy. I really enjoyed and, and, and cherished about being able to uh, uh, look through those pages and then to work with them. Did it bring any, any regret to you? Well, the big thing I regret is that she's not here to, to help raise our daughter. Yeah. You know, if, if there's any regret, the yes. littler things, um, 
they pass. Yeah, they really do. They really do. I mean, you always feel that you could, there's little thing, uh, miscommunications or little tug of wars that you wish would have been different. But the larger, the larger truth of, of how much people, you know, how much you cared for someone and how much they cared for you. And you just kind of want them, wish, want them around. Yeah. 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 Or that's how I am. Yeah. 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 Well, definitely deep, you know, deep, heartfelt. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're having a, a really meaningful conversation. Really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know you were going to go this deep, huh? <laughs> I can tell, you know what? You need the right person to go really deep with, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charles Buck is the author of um, Alice and Oliver, really a book that we want to recommend to, um, to uh, all of our listeners. We have a lot more uh, to discuss with Charles, he's going to stay with us. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Insight Corporation, NovoCure, and Taiho Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and our guest today is author Charles Bach. Charles' first book, Beautiful Children, was a New York Times bestseller, a notable book of the year, and won the Sue Kaufman Prize for a best first novel from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. 
His second book, Allison Oliver, has just come out. And while it's a book of fiction, it is based on real life experience. Charles' wife, Diana, was diagnosed with leukemia soon after giving birth to their daughter, Lily. Uh, Despite being treated with chemotherapy and two bone marrow transplants, Diana succumbed to cancer uh, in 2011. Um, I I want our listeners, Charles, to just get a flavor flavor for this book. So I would love to ask you to read a a short excerpt from from, uh, the book. Could you set the scene for our listeners and then take us there? Absolutely. Um, Alice has been home or has gotten, had induction. She's been home for a little bit. Um, new tests are unclear about, uh, uh, about what's happening in her body. And it's about time, and it's close enough time to, uh, uh, where, to chemo where the best thing they can do because they don't know about these 5% of cells is to just start a, uh, um, a consolidation and this is the night before she's going to go back into the hospital they're packing everything up for her stay um and it's her and her husband oliver on the couch while they're packing okay and uh being bald is horrid enough alice said and eyebrows don't matter so much but i always had pretty eyelashes alice just please look at me. Your mommy's going to be a tree, Alice told Doe. Or how about a smooth, bald butterfly with no eyebrows? After a few more moments, she gave in and turned toward her husband. His hand went to the underside of her chin. You still have your eyelashes, he began. They're, they're thinner, she said. When I put on eyeshadow, I can tell. You are gorgeous beyond words. It's horrible to feel vain about these things, she said, but I can't help it. And I think that's the excerpt. It's, it's uh, really beautiful and paints such a, such a picture for us, um, Charles. I, I can't help but um, really kind of note the contrast between your your first novel and your, and your second novel, certainly yeah, it's massive, such difference. massive difference. And really for our listeners, you know, your first, first, uh, book about, uh, beautiful children, about, uh, prostitutes, pornographers, teen runaways, um, Las Vegas, in, in, in Las, Las Vegas, in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. In Las Vegas. I, you know, I, I, you know, tell me, talk to us, you know, really as a, as an author, as a writer was the, uh, the, the process of writing this, I imagine was quite different than the previous novel. Can you, can you compare contrast, for us, your sort of experience as a writer in those two pieces? Yeah. Well, the first novel I wrote, I didn't know what I was doing. And it took me forever. It took me a really long time to write it. And I kept try, having to try and figure it out. And, and not just figure out how to write a book, but figure out what my story was. And it ends up moving between times. And it's kind of like lost in that there's levels and layers to it. And it's got eight, ten different character main characters. It's just a big wonderful, messy first novel where I'm just, you know, where I just went for everything. This book, and, and the truth is, Diane and I used to say, she used to say, I just don't know what you're going to do next. I don't know how you could possibly follow that, that, that up. Mm, mm. And uh, we used to laugh about it. 
this book is just a, it's different. It's such a different um, idea behind it. In this book, I, I really wanted to focus on these two people on the idea of, of love and even when it's challenged and, and pushed and, and on what we owe to one another and what we owe to ourselves, the experience of, the, of her cancer and of a, a bone marrow transplant, I felt, and of the day-to-day ordeal of going through of going through these different challenges and these different questions and financial pressures and insurance pressures and doctor nurse bureaucracy relationships and what it does to these people what it does to everyone um, I felt like they had a natural story to them they gave it a natural immediate timeline and arc and that that I could hone in on and work with in a way where I didn't have to flail around so much. This book was emotionally, I knew emo- the emotional heart of the book was going to be um, intense and that it would be a book with a lot of heavy, heavy stuff going on. And so I, it didn't need to be too flashy. It didn't need to go crazy because it was just going to be a, a, a deep experience. And I think that that allowed me to be focused in a way that when I was writing the other book, any good idea I had, I, could, I would be like, oh, well, maybe I could try this. And who knows where that could lead. That could lead down a dark alley to nothing or it could lead to something great. Uh, but this gave me a much, this was a much different experience. And then I could also felt like I could use time and, and humor as places to give a reader some breath uh, places to laugh, places to catch their breath and, and recompose themselves. But it was all, I always felt like I had, uh, that this is a great, that this is the story, the life and death stuff and is the, is great, is makes for great possible art. And I wanted to, do, to really do honor that and to try and capture that on the page. So, so Charles, you were quoted as saying that writing the truth often requires invention and imagination. In order yeah. to make, you know, real, quote-unquote, real details seem real, right. I needed to make stuff up. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. So what, what truth or truths did you, did you want to write? I mean, t- you know, talk to me about, you oh. know, give me some framework for that, for that quote, because I think it's really interesting. I think there's an emotional that, for me, for this book, there were some things that a little bit of distance, a little bit of changing things, a little bit of, of messing with what happened allowed me to get to the, the emotional heart of what was happening. Diana underwent a pair of bone marrow transplants. The second one was experimental after the cancer returned. If I would have tried to put in the novel both of them, I think it would have um, it would have just been really even harder because you get through it once, every, you think everything's okay, and then to do it again, it would have it was physically exhausting in a way in real life that you have no choice but to go through. 
But a reader does have a choice, and that choice is to say, I've had enough, goodbye. So um, in this case, if I could consolidate them, and if I could take the emotional intensity from each event and, and certain moments that I knew that happened in, in the second one and certain things that happened in the first and maybe you combine them into one afternoon or into a stretch of things that happen in a cause and effect manner, then it, it's, it's a lot more focused and, and there's a way of dealing with it. Uh, I think in every scene there were things where maybe I had observed something and I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then something where I thought, oh, well, here's a joke I knew or a story I knew or someone I knew and maybe they said something that for some reason sounds interesting and maybe I could put it in and work with it. So that um, it's kind of a, a, a collage and a bit of a magic trick. I needed to be able to put it in 1993. I needed to have uh, Alice be a little bit in the, the fashion world, which is a world that I knew nothing about, but I could do research and I could add some Holly Golightly type stuff to her personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I needed some of that so that I wasn't stuck in, so stuck in um, what had happened that I would never be able to get out of bed uh, uh, and, and would just be, be sad all the time. So, so uh, just I have a quick minute until our next break, I'm sorry, Charles. I'm sorry, no, no, I'm you're, this is fat. This is no. It's a, a a great conversation, but I just want to ask in that vein. So, did it ever cross your mind to write a biography or an autobiography, or did you need that distance? Do you need that, that gap, that distance of the fiction, to really be able to charge on with this project? I, I needed it. I yeah. I needed it. I had. Any thoughts that I would have had about it, I always felt that fiction was the way for me. And maybe, you know, I mean, there's like the beautiful, gorgeous memoir when, or, uh, from the, depart- the uh, departed man, um, When Breath Becomes Air. And mm-hmm. he needed to write what was happening to him while he was ill. Mm-hmm. I needed to... I needed some of the veils and some of the tricks and some of the things of fiction to -hmm. be able to get at the real truth of what we had went through. Mm -hmm. And of course, that means that, you know, I'm not a number one memoir bestseller, but I'm very proud of and love my book a lot. And and that's what I needed to be able to write it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're having a really uh, amazing and in-depth conversation with Arthur, Arthur Charles Bach. His new book is Alice uh, and Oliver, and um, it's, a, it's a must read. And I know, that our, uh, uh, I know that our listeners would have a tremendous amount of, uh, of appreciation for this uh, amazing work. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We've got more to discuss uh, with Charles. Please uh, don't go away. We will be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. 
This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb. Celgene Corporation, EMD Serono, and Takeda Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Our guest today is Charles Bach, and he's uh, telling us about his uh, new book, Alice and Oliver, which, as I said, I, I really do think is a uh, is a must read for our for our listeners. Um, uh, when uh, Charles, your wife Diana, was uh, diagnosed, you described uh, you received what you describe as an outpouring of support that changed. Yeah your understanding of, of people. Talk to me about that. Well, I'll tell you, Diana w- was diagnosed when our, when our uh, infant daughter was six months old. Mm. We had, my sister was in New York, but I really didn't have like family around. Um, friend, writer friends, 
my friends, but also my wife's friends, mm-hmm. they became our family. And people volunteered through the, uh, uh, we set up a helping hands website of mm-hmm. people to help with food, to bring food, because as you know, cancer patient, and especially someone who's neutropenic or someone who's had a bone marrow transplant or has any, you know, when you have issues with those white blood cell counts, there, you, there's foods you can have, foods you can't have, places you yep. can go, things you can't go, and it's, it's high maintenance. Yep. Also having a, a six-month-old daughter who is mm-hmm. being forcibly removed from breastfeeding Mm-hmm. High, high maintenance, just huge. And I'm a writer. She's a grad student. We don't have any money. We don't, you know, like we don't have it. We don't have the, the resources available to, to pay off the problem. Um, but people, people signed up and people came by with food and people took care of Lily when, when I was exhausted or when Diana was exhausted they just sat with her, mm. um, and years of this. She was ill for two, for basically for two and a half years. There were six month stretches of remission after transplants, but as you know, those stretches are, are not healthy stretches. Those stretches are stretches of recovery and of, of immobility and of, of, yeah. of weakness. Yes, people were. I'm people rose to the occasion and mm. people shared and people were great in a way that I um, could only stand back and, and say to myself, well this is this is what this is what life is this is what the goodness of our race. This is the goodness of the human race right here. This is the reason where if you were going to say, what do we have or what is there worth saving about, about if, if aliens were going to come down and say, why shouldn't we wipe humanity off the face of the earth? Mm. You would point to, the, to, the peop- to people do acting this way and say, mm-hmm. this is why. And that, um, you know, I tried to put that in the novel. I tried to show how, how friends and people rose and how much it affected. And this isn't everyone. There were relatives, honestly, who couldn't, you know, where it's too sad or it's too hard and they have to step back. And, um, but mostly people stepped up. And, uh, I, and it's just something that um, I'll always be grateful for and I'll, I'll always be aware of in trying to give back because I never saw anything i never was part of anything like that before it it really does create some balance in the universe doesn't it when you're going through this something yeah horrible absolutely. horrible situation and then you see that that human kindness and the power and the strength of that it, it, it kind of helps to at least to put things a little bit back uh, on, on kilter in a, in a in a difficult time and we certainly witness it every day at the cancer support community um absolutely uh, Charles, we're getting to the end of our show here, but um, would you 
would you tell us a little bit about Lily and tell us how she's doing and and um, oh, and uh, what she's up to these days? And do you ever imagine sharing Diana's journal with her? Um, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Lily is seven and a half. Um, I have all Diana's journals. I have her papers. I have we. Uh, her mother has in Memphis just everything. I mean, we, I have in our apartment, we have everything. And uh, even in Diana's note about what she wanted, she wants Lily to have it. And Lily is an amazing reader. She's ready. She wants to read Alice and Oliver. I had to stop her. Even at the book party when she saw the book, she, started, she opened it and she said, I tried to start reading it. It's a little more, it's for adults. But I want to read, you know. And I've told her that when she's 16, you know, to have at it. Um, she is a, she's a beautiful, very smart little girl. She's very, um, she's growing up with a lot on her shoulders. She doesn't remember her mother. Children don't, you know, there's a, uh, Freud has a, has a term where he talks about that um, kids, once you turn three, children start to forget anything that happened to them before they're three or, or maybe when it's seven, I think maybe at seven, they forget anything that happened to them before they're three. And, uh, Diana passed away three days before her third birthday. Mm. So she really, you know, she has the pictures on the computer. She has the few videos we took. She has all the stories, but she doesn't know her mom. And, and just the other day she said, it's, you know, I want her to come, I, come back I mean she's still very she's a little girl who, who doesn't get her mother yeah. I'm and um, I'm lucky in that I, I met someone and we're, we're creating a family and she's accepted Lily and takes her on as a, a, a as and is acting you know as her, her, her daughter um, and so we I think we have a chance at ha- a happy growing family but I also know that you know, for for quite a long that this is something that the child has to live with, and she when she gets sad. Even last night, I said, "Well, you do. You get to be sad. It's not fair, and it's not right. And you have every right to feel the way you do. I miss her too, and I want her back too. And we do get to feel this way, and you're right to feel this way. But this is also, you know, that's not all we get to feel. We also." love each other and we still have to put our toys away (laughs) you know we don't (laughs) you know it's not an excuse to not live and to not try and do the right things um so we're you know we're we're plugging along Mm -hmm. that's great we're uh just about at the end uh at the end of our time here, Charles, I think I, I think I need another hour <laughs> or more. Uh, so much more to talk about. We didn't even really get into the uh, some of the issues in the marriage um, right. uh, of Alice and Oliver, which I know were you know quite uh, you know really intense at times and and and, and rather personal. Um, uh, just a lot that a lot that we didn't cover, but certainly a lot that we did cover about this amazing book and amazing story and your own story and really pouring yourself. Um, and and Diana's story into this um, novel in so many um, you know important and and, and significant ways and, and subtle 
subtle ways as well, which I think is um, you know, really fascinating. So I want to thank you uh, for coming on to the show today, for sharing uh, a little bit about your own life story and your family, um, as well as let us, letting us sort of you know, peek behind the curtain and, and see, how the, uh, see how this writing really happens and all of the influences that sort of channeled um, into this amazing piece of work. So it's just a, an honor for us to have you with us. Um, I want to encourage our listeners to get a copy of your book, and I want to remind folks that um, uh, we have uh, many, many free services for people with cancer at the Cancer Support Community. So check us out at cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can give us a call at 888 793 Nine three five five. So thanks for joining today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management